Hey there, this is Meg. I'm your host, and you are listening to Mental Status, a podcast about burnout for people in the mental health profession. Quick disclaimer, because you know that stuff is important these days. Uh, Mental Status is a podcast about burnout in the mental health field. It's for entertainment and educational purposes only. This is not therapy, and this is not clinical supervision. There are no CEUs associated with this podcast. Enjoy it and share it as you will. And if you're in a space where you're needing deeper support, please seek out therapy or supervision for yourself from somebody who is qualified to provide those services for you. Just a quick note, there is a content warning on this episode. There is some discussion around suicidal ideation. So please listen at your own discretion. Thanks. Okay, here we go. So fancy. Okay. So this is where I get to get into my my podcast self. It's always a bit of a thing. Um, All right. So welcome everybody to Mental Status. My name is Meg. I am your host. This is a podcast about burnout for mental health professionals. And today I have a very special guest who I'd like to um, give a chance to introduce themselves. So special guest, who are you, where are you, and how are you doing today? Hi, thanks for having me on. Uh, My name is Aaron Temple. Uh, I'm a mental health clinician in Annapolis, Maryland, and I'm doing pretty good today, actually. Pretty good. All right. Yeah. So what does pretty good look like for you? Pretty good. Pretty good to me is contentment. Cool. Yeah, just just kind of, it's a nice day. Fall finally feels like it got here. Mm -hmm. Uh, Weather-wise, which always puts me in a better mood and just feeling kind of just not quite relaxed, but content. Yeah, that's the best word I would describe that as. Nice. Well, that's a... um... That's a nice place to be, especially if you have ever experienced burnout, because (laughs) that can be a hard state to reach. So I'm glad you're feeling, feeling good today. Mm -hmm. Um, All right. Well, niceties out of the way. Let's just dig right in. Um, Tell us a little bit about your burnout story. So where have you been? Sure. Um, And it's funny you mentioned that. It's like, I'm content today. I have not been <laughs> for most of this week, but, um, you know, it's, it's so interesting to walk through the idea of burnout and really learn to split it off in some ways from, you know, general stress, general anxiety, kind of where is the line there? Mm-hmm. Um, so without giving you my whole life story, um, I will say I've been anxious my entire life and had no idea of it until I was really in, uh, until college. So I, so I'm, I think I'm more prone to maybe burnout in that way, just because I'm just on all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't remember really being burnout as a teenager going through school. Um, but I do remember that pressure was always there. Um, and I don't think it really became problematic for me until I really was in grad school. Um, 
where it was a w- weird blend of grad school felt easy, right? Like mm-hmm. I went, so I went, got my master's in uh, clinical mental health counseling in Indiana, where I'm originally from. And I was just blown away. Like, this is what a master's is. I got a 4.0, like it was no problem. <laughs> yep. And as you know, as a mental health clinician, as we all probably know, it's like, it's not about really the knowledge. It's about your presence and utilizing those, that knowledge and that skill base. It's not a, here's the manual. This is what you do. Mm-hmm. I knocked that out of the park. That was no problem. But it's like, <laughs> oh, but you have to be a therapist. I do a therapist. Oh shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it was really like, oh, um, and so I felt really insecure. I'm like, am I missing something? This was too easy. It's mm-hmm. got to be harder than this. It's got to be harder than this. So, and I was the kid. I was, you know, 24 or right out of grads or undergrad. I was the student who would, you know, um, there's a paper due at the end of the semester. Okay, what? 10% can I do every week so that I don't cram? Mm-hmm. So I was, so that's what I mean about that. I think how that pressure helps me become a very effective person, right? As I take that pressure and anxiety and like, okay, I don't cram. I won't have a panic attack at the end of, at the, end of the semester. Mm-hmm. I've, I've piecemeal this. I've always used, utilized it as like a strength. Never thought about it as something that maybe I need to, or there might be two sides to this. Maybe I need to be more mindful of how I use it. Mm-hmm. Um, and as I'm sure most of us are familiar with, at least I was familiar with is you don't go to grad school. I'm sorry. You don't become a therapist for the money, mm. get used to making nothing. And I said, okay, great. I just want to help people. I just want to help people. Yeah. And so that was my idea. I got out of grad school, got my first job in Texas where my, uh, now wife but girlfriend at the time started her grad school and I just took the first job I got worked at a day program like PHP for like severe mental illness and addiction Mm -hmm. and I was treated pretty poorly Mm -hmm. by the just the over it was I I don't want to speak ill of anybody but I think the revolving door of therapists Mm -hmm. It was, there were some pretty awful instances there. I was driving an hour and a half both ways. So I'm doing, I think it was, yeah, almost, um, yeah, like 130 miles a day. Oh my god! To make virtually nothing. Like, um, and to do, I think we did like five groups a day and groups of like, 15 to 20 people and we're talking like people who are actively responding to internal stimuli so like how you're what can you name an emotion that's kind of the depth of the work that we know mm-hmm. and it was actually I really liked the clients it was actually really rewarding work in a lot of ways but like when I was like hey like I think I need to take a day off it's like well no mm-hmm. or well if you take a day off someone's got to cover your group so it was one of those mm-hmm. like if my me taking time off for myself would hurt others who were already being burnt out yeah. just by the volume, the severity. Yep. So again, I'm like, okay, this is just the mental health world. I'll suck it up because that's what I was taught to do. Uh, I'm, a, you know, this goes a little bit into like, and I remember this so clearly. I'm like, I know the suck it up, you're a man. 
is not real, but I, I could not deny that it was totally shaping my behavior and my decisions. Um, went to, my wife graduated, went to Maryland where she had works in DC. She works for the government. Again, took the job I could get at a rehab, never worked substance use really at all. Even in that last job, barely touched it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was a luxury rehab. So it was small, like a lot of individual work. So it seemed like a really different understanding of addiction than I was used to. And really good clinicians, really fun clients and was treated better. Right. Mm-hmm. But again, there was this, if you take time off, you hurt other people, right. It's 24 mm-hmm. seven, right. It's a rehab. And this is probably where my burnout stories got pretty severe. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I was able to not take the ownership like I did in the last job where it's like, well, these clients are my responsibility, but like, I mean, I'm not responsible for them. We're here. Like they're spending all this money because we, we weren't credentialed with insurance. So we're spending tens of their tens of thousands of dollars for care. They have to get sober and it's my responsibility, right? That was the pressure. Mm -hmm. I logically knew untrue, but that's what I felt. Yeah. So I couldn't take time off because I should be spending my free time reading more about addiction because I'm not an addictions therapist. Why did they hire me? And all of this kind of internal negative self-talk. Yeah. And I'll never forget. That was probably my first, well, my second panic, panic attack. I had a first one in grad school that um, was pretty mild, mild, but this one here, we had a client who was um, rather disruptive, not following the rules. I don't deal with conflict. And I felt like I was losing control of the situation. And we finally decided to switch. He would go work with another therapist than me, someone who was older, more experienced. And I did not take that personally. And my, um, the, the head clinician, who's someone I really look up to, just asked, hey, you all right? And I just like full on like, panic attack crying just like and I had no idea what that was about mm-hmm. and I don't think I went home that day I think I was like no that's just the work mm-hmm. and and that happened a few times um I have through my anxiety I've definitely had suicidal thoughts and attempts and that was the first time I had those thoughts again in over a decade so that scared me and that's when I took a day off and like Mm-hmm. You know, and kind of thinking about this burnout, you know, kind of being here today, I thought like, why did it have to take me to literally probably be very close to being in danger of my own safety to be like, oh, maybe it's time to relax and take some time off and re- focus on me. I'm like, that's really screwed up. Yeah. Um, and I just, that was, I think that was December so I worked there for another six months. There were some other kind of not healthy stuff going on there with the management. And again, like, I think it's an okay facility, good clinicians, just not well run mm-hmm. as often happens sometimes. Um, and I took the job I'm at now at a group private practice in Annapolis. And when I saw like, and I know private practice, you know, generally gets the pay a little bit more. But it's like you set your own hours. If you essentially like you don't work, you don't get paid. So if you take time off, like, you know, don't be reckless with it, but no worries. And I was like, whoa, I can take off Labor Day if I want to. <laughs> I can, you know, 
And this was, you know, the first time I ever took holidays off as an adult. And it's just like, and I almost feel guilty, you know, it's just, it's a, it's a wild feeling. So um, now I think it's a different pressure, excuse me, being in private practice. Um, I work with individuals struggling with like sexual compulsivity, sex, sex addiction, out of control, sexual behaviors. It's got a billion labels. Um, you know, so I work with individuals, mainly men, but also their spouses. So mm. partners dealing with betrayal trauma. So it's a lot of intensity, a lot of confusing stuff for, for the people I work with. So it's mm. a different type of burnout and pressure. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of personality stuff comes with that. So that's fun, you know, and, but it's a, it feels like a, a more manageable burnout. Mm-hmm. Like I don't get like, oh crap, you know, that like yeah. the, 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 the panic rush as much, but it also creeps up in a way that I was not expecting to the point, again, I had this like, ooh, not, not nearly as severe as the rehab, but that similar feeling of like, whoa, like I'm not okay all of a sudden. Yeah. Oh, there were signs this, and this whole week I've been playing that game. I said at the beginning that, man, I'm engaging in my kind of self-soothing behaviors that I don't love that I do. Like I'm eating mm-hmm. out a lot. I'm, I'm not a sleeper, but I've been sleeping a lot. I'm like, what is wrong with me? Like not in a shaming way, but I'm just like, check in signals yeah. are telling you you're not okay. I still haven't put that together, but I feel okay today, which is a, a, a relief. So yeah. Yeah. I feel like there's a lot more to unpack there or to go through, but just in general, that's just a quick, like, Cause I've only been practicing since 2016. So like I've really only had three jobs. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't have a long professional burnout career. Um, but that kind of encapsulates the kind of the overarching history. Yeah. And I, I appreciate the vulnerability and sharing what those different, what those different stages and phases of burnout look like for you. Um, because it can be incredibly difficult as a mental health professional to even admit that you're like, oh, you're, you're kind of struggling a little bit, but to really admit like, this is really, really not okay for me. Um, even that I've found there's still like stigma attached to that. If you're a professional and you admit that you're having suicidal ideation or mm-hmm. If you're, you know, using coping mechanisms that we we see in our clients as maladaptive, um, it can be really hard to face that within yourself. And I mean, to your point about how you haven't exactly had a long-term professional burnout, like I'm only two years into my practice and I'm running a podcast about burnout. So like it it happens quick and it can come on like a motherfucker, uh, you know, and it, it can be really hard to acknowledge, especially in those earlier years where you feel like you've got so much other stuff that you're trying to keep track of and professional development and licensure hours. I'm just like, it's all coming down on you all at the same time. <laughs> yeah. Like it's, I was, you know, one of our routines that my wife and I have is we take our dog for a walk. Mm-hmm. Um, we try to do it every day, but reality, it's usually just like if I come, if I work like an earlier day or 
you know, get home early enough. That's not dark out. We'll take her. Mm-hmm. We take her on the weekends and, you know, and our, our walks usually do entail like, what's the future look like? Professionally, mm-hmm. family just today, you know, so it's kind of a nice touch point. Yeah. And I am in the middle of working on my EMDR certification for attachment yeah. focus EMDR, which I'm yeah. loving. And I'm kind of getting to the point where not to go too into it, but it's just like, okay, you have to do like group and individual supervision. I'm kind of tapping out of my group. I need to focus on my individual. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we were talking about it's like, okay, well, it's expensive. Just get it done. And I'm, and I'm like, man, I've been just getting it done mm-hmm. all the time. All my, cause I've moved three different States and every state told me to start over my hour. It's like, okay, I'll get another supervisor. Mm. And it's just like so much of it's like, you're the cheapest or you're good enough. I just need to get this over with. And like today I was like, you know what? Like I like my supervisor, but I would love to just explore other options just so I get quality instead of, and like you said, just like doing use of the hours. It's like, yeah, we're just so hard just trying to farm it out. I mean, that's exactly what the day program was there. It was just like an hours farmer, right? You just yeah. get in and you get out. I'm like, that's so screwed up. Like that mm-hmm. should not be one. We should not be subjugating ourselves to that. And I understand a little bit, like, listen, most professions, but you start at the bottom of the totem pole kind of a thing. You kind of start at the ones that no one wants to do. But like, I don't know, part of me also feels guilty. I'm like that's okay. The most vulnerable population is sometimes are the hardest to work with. So we just get in, get out, and then we'll just keep giving them the interns forever. Yeah. And it's just like, uh, so I just feel like we're, it does a disservice somewhat to clients in certain populations, but also like to ourselves of like, mm-hmm. you have to be miserable. You have to, you know, it's expensive and this, that, and the other. Then like the whole idea of like unpaid internships. It's like, yeah, you guys can do it. And it's like, hold on. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Like I'm working like a part-time job and it's like, it's wild. And like, until you, and I didn't even put it together until you said that, like, whoa, like now they take a step back. It's like, holy cow. Like, and I thought I was overreacting a little bit with my, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, dang. Like, yeah. 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 It can be really, um, really eye opening when you are able to take that step back and step away from being in the thick of it for yourself. Uh, Cause like being in a burnout stage, you really are like, kind of sunken into it. At least that's been my experience. Like you're fully in it. It can be very difficult to kind of peer over the edge and see things for what they are. Um, And I've had a lot of conversations with folks on here about that systemic aspect of burnout. Like there's obviously a lot of personal characteristics that when mixed with these types of environments, it can create this whole like volatile um, volcano of burnout. but it's, there are very much like these big systemic aspects of the way that we go through our earlier career career years in search of like what we're ultimately wanting to do, which is help people. But yeah, I mean, like when you start out in these places where it's that revolving door and you're just getting your hours and clients are not getting necessarily the most skilled or experienced therapists, it just, it can feel very rough to be in that position. Yeah. Yeah. And one thing that caught my attention about what you said um, when you were talking about your experiences was this idea that taking care of yourself meant somebody else was going to be hurt by that. Um, 
So I'm wondering if you can expand a little bit on how that has played out for you in your professional journey. Sure. Excuse me. Um, I mean, that's, that's kind of indoctrinated into us probably for most of like, I don't want to say stereotype of like our first experiences, but like Mm -hmm. my first job was working at Dairy Queen. Um, And that was very much it. If you don't show up to your shift, someone else has to do it. Right. And so that's already in there. Right. I worked for uh, like a bulk grocer and they actually, they were, I think the company's great, but it's very much like, Hey, if you're not here, someone else. And I actually, now that I'm thinking about it, I remember having uh, a pretty, really hard emotional experience and I called out and I remember feeling so bad about it Mm. um so like there is so that I think is already just like you don't work someone has got to pick your slack up you know Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. just kind of in the in the the systemic view but professionally it was I don't ever recall like a supervisor or a boss or anyone kind of at an upper management level telling me that, but mm-hmm. I would definitely like, would see it like, Oh, so-and-so called out. Can you cover their groups? And it's like, oh. yeah. Okay. And part of me is like, good for them. Right. They had a baby. They they're sick. I don't want them. Yeah. It's like stuff I can't sit here. But yeah. I'm just like, Shit. I'm like, okay. <laughs> so, you know, I guess I'll just throw my plans out the window and like yep. that happens. Right. And that's, I think that's a part of it and that's okay. Mm-hmm. Like, so like, I say that, but I also don't deny that. I'm like, okay, if I'm feeling this way, they must be feeling this way because everyone's the same as me because that's how the world works, you know? <laughs> like, so, and now that that just got worse as I think I progressed. So that was very much at the, hey, can you cover their groups? And that's usually not a huge issue. We would combine a group. Mm-hmm at that because most people were like we kind of made it like high functioning moderate functioning low functioning like the groups are pretty all right today we're just going to do some art therapy mm-hmm. i don't want to quit that that, that that i didn't want to do that like put quotes on that but like kind of what i judged is that like okay they're just coloring right but that is a enriching activity for them but i just remember like okay like as I just remember putting pressure on myself that that's not enough, you know, yeah, but yeah. that's also easy, right? A group of 30, put on some music, have them do it, just check in with them. That's so like the burnout or when people would call out, that wasn't a huge deal. It was more mm-hmm. of an inconvenience. Moving forward, working at the rehab, like it was smaller. Like you had a caseload of, uh, I think we each got, oh boy, well, I don't go quote me on it, but like five or six <laughs> clients, we had to see them three times a week individually. Um, that included a family session. We had to do their uh, aftercare planning. We also did groups intakes and like, and if their insurance review would come up, we'd have to do an insurance uh, auth- reauthorization kind of report to give back to the insurance. So it's a lot to cram in in a week. Yeah. And if someone missed, it's like, okay, like at least the, the least worst thing that would happen would be you got to cover a group okay Mm -hmm. that's no big deal but if it's like hey they're going to be out for a week they're taking a vacation okay we need to bring in a floater or you have to take them on and like i remember like i have insurance reviews to do yeah i don't have time to do this like other stuff and it was 
so that really instilled like I can't take this time off. I know what it. And I also cared about my therapists, like my my fellow clinicians. I thought they were brilliant. They were and they were willing to get. Yeah, we got you, no problem. But it's so some of it's also very internal. But I also know that like mm-hmm. someone calls out, like I know that impact on me, and um, it really sucks mm-hmm. to the point of like. Oh God, I totally forgot. They did this thing where they like, what do you do? They had us like log our like every hour what we're doing because they didn't think we were efficient enough. Like they, and I knew they were wanting to like beef up stuff. They wanted to, well, how many, you can do 18, you can do this many sessions a week. It was very, and I was just like, man. So that put pressure on me. Okay, I don't have time or I'm not allowed to. Let me do some reading. Mm-hmm. right like this mm-hmm. person is talking about you know intercept dual diagnosis stuff which we did I'm like listen i don't know enough about how wow someone i'll never forget someone came in what was it, it was uh oh my, like synthetic it was synth- something synthetic i'm like i've mm-hmm. never even heard of that like okay let me read up on how, oh my gosh that does this and kratom was new it's like what's kratom and yeah i don't have time to do that except on my off time and not get right. paid for it right so like yeah. So I don't know if I answer your question, but just really in a, yeah, that's, it was, I think a lot of internal driven, but also like systemically. And then like, once you're in that environment, it's hard to see. And I will say being at this private practice now, like that's nice that I'm free of that. Like the only, mm-hmm. if I take time off my employer, right. Like also doesn't get paid either the portion that, you know, that they get like, okay, but like, I'm not thinking be, I'm not making more work for somebody. Right. Uh, which feels better to like focus on that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's what you're describing is I'm guessing a very familiar experience for a lot of people where um, at those types of agencies where you are sort of at the behest of insurance companies and maybe people who are paying out of pocket for the services, you do have certain expectations that are set up and they're set up by the organization and not by the people who are providing the care. Um, which can create this whole storm of having, having the downward pressure of expectations from admin and supervisors, and then the sideways pressure, the, the typical pressure of working with clients, which is like what our job is. And I mean, it's, it's a very fulfilling position and it can be really fulfilling work, but it does create internal pressure at times to, as you said, be updated on the latest research on these new synthetic drugs that are coming out that are creating all of these different types of symptoms that we haven't seen before. Um, And so if you're in a position where like they're wanting to be more efficient and they're adding more things on top and micromanaging your time to the point where you're now engaging in professional stuff on your personal time, like your brain never really gets to shut off from that. And I know we talked before I hit the record button, you had mentioned something about this, like this sort of ongoing pressure, internal pressure now to always be productive and always be doing and how that is, it sounds still kind of like a current struggle for you. Um, (laughs) Yes. Oh yeah. Nodding yes. Um, And (laughs) struggle for me too. Uh, I think we are a a nice big group of high achievers and over-functioners. Um, Mm -hmm. I would agree. (laughs) Maybe you can talk a little bit about how that need to be productive or need to do shows up in your life. 
Oh gosh. <laughs> Bring my wife in. She'll really fill you in. Uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, man. I mean, that's always, again, I think it's one of those things where it's like, I always use this expression with my clients. Use your superpowers for good. Right. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's like with great power comes great responsibility. And that's where like, I think the overproductiveness, the overachiever, the high achievers, like you can use these very effectively. <laughs> However, there's a cost to you to be very mindful of and we're not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I'm really, I'm fine. I'm different. I got it. You know, um, it manifests in a lot of different ways. So I mean, <laughs> I often joke that I'd be very curious to see like, you know, within DSM, there's like um, certain specifiers of certain disorders. I'm like, is there one for like compulsive behavior where therapists who buy books and read like a chapter <laughs> and then they buy another one, right? And like every therapist I talk to does that. And oh, I, think, no. but I think that's uh, the primary symptom of that. It's like, oh, there's oh. something new. I have to keep going. Yep. And Guilty. to the point of like, yeah, I was going to say, that was, <laughs> I've never, like, I'm serious. I'm like, okay, like I know it's a joke, but I wonder what, what that really is about because like every therapist every therapist I talk to like is guilty of that or like on my bookshelf at work you'll see like little tabs where I left off I'm like I should really finish that book and then <laughs> I've got a great book for you I've not finished it but it's probably really good <laughs> like, yeah. um so that's probably like the most professional way it manifests is but also like okay you see the clients for the day and say like, okay do I really want to sit and read about you know intergenerational trauma do I really want to read about you know, grief, but specific grief for abortions? Or do I really want to sit and kind of go through a book that I probably know 80% of because I'm specializing in porn addiction, but I want to know this specific thing I'm looking for. Like it's, Mm -hmm. so it's like, no, I don't want to do that. Um, And even when I have time at work, and this is something I'm always in an internal struggle about, like, well, I could sit and you know, meditate or watch something on my iPad and just take a quick snack break, or I could read for this hour. And it's, that's always an internal battle. And I notice mm-hmm. when I'm more burnt out, I definitely don't pick the, uh, the more productive <laughs> uh, no. kind of uh, option, which then builds like, oh crap, I still have not read that. Like, oh, mm-hmm. Okay. I got to read that. I got to read that. Mm-hmm. Um, it also... And this is something that I've probably been really struggling with and the rehab was not helpful for it. And that's just by the nature of what it is. It's 24 seven. So there's an on-call. Yeah. Here, I don't have that, but I'm always worried. I'm compulsively checking my email. And I mean, like, and I don't use that in a, like, non-clinical. Like, I'm like, ooh, I got to read. Like, I have so much anxiety. If I don't do it, I have to check it. Yeah. It's 12 a.m. I've been, or, or it's like, wow, like, you know, there's not a time to do this. I'm in the middle of an event. I'm mm-hmm. at a concert. I'm like, oh, I'll check what you like. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah. Um, and like, what am I going to It's like, what are you going to do with that information? Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. They're in crisis. Okay. Guess what? You're not a crisis line. You're going to do the same thing. You're yeah. going to help them call 911. Like, okay, great. You know what I mean? So like, I logically know that, but you know, the emotional part of me gets really hijacked by that. So like, mm-hmm. there's a lot of elements of that where I feel that pressure to be the best, be available and that and it's a it's internal struggle because i logically know that um and i know there's probably some my own wounding and story that makes me more prone to that but it also comes at home too like i i do chores 
Yeah. To the point where my wife's like, I kind of feel bad that you do everything around here. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, hey, you work just as hard as I do. You deal with the financial side of our relationship and she's incredible at it. So I'm like, I don't want to dive into all of that. Like you seem to have a head for it. Like, I don't mind cooking and cleaning. Mm-hmm. Um, but I find when she does do it, whether because I'm working or I say she asks for, it, I'm like, okay, I'll go ahead. You can cook dinner tonight. Like I feel like a whole slew of emotions. I'm like, okay, I'll go do something else. I'll go, you know, maybe I'll go like mop the ceiling because right. There's always something <laughs> more to do. Um, yeah. So that's something that at least personally, I've been trying to be more cognizant of and mindful of because I does it again. It goes when it affects other people. Okay. This is clearly affecting my wife. Yeah. And not a like maladaptive, like, no, like that is crappy to her that I take that away from her. She does. It does feel one-sided. Okay. I do need mm-hmm. to like maybe do the chores she doesn't like doing. And, you know, so that's mm-hmm. been an evolving conversation, but it's mm-hmm. to the point where it's like, I won't eat sometimes or I have to get it done and then I can relax. Right. Right. So it comes out in a lot of different ways. Absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, I, I identify with a lot of what you just said, like buying new books and reading a chapter and being like, (laughs) oh, this book, like I've done that with um, leisure books. I bought a Stephen King book. I've never read Stephen King ever before in my life. Mm -hmm. I'm like, I'm doing this for leisure. I read through the first couple chapters and I'm on to like the next professional book. I'm like, dang it. Like (laughs) I can't even do that. But also the, um, yeah, like the, the compulsively checking email and checking on things and feeling very, um, a very strong need to just look, just look and see what's there. See if anything is there. Do I need to respond? Mm -hmm. Um, And like part of the story that you have that I identify with are those types of workplace environments. And this is even before I came into the therapy world as well, where like you show up and you say yes to everything. You are the yes person. You do it because Mm -hmm. you want to advance. You want to be useful. You don't want to be a dispensable uh, employee in the company. So Mm -hmm. you show up and that like, for me, that translated over to my work in therapy where, I mean, the first job that I had it was ultimately like a pretty decent job. It was taxing in home therapy, but the motto of the therapy modality that we were using was whatever it takes. And so like, I really internalized that a lot. Like I'm going to do whatever it takes. Um, so yeah, like I've had these experiences talking with my fiance about like, it's taking me a lot of time to sort of like de-identify with that and take that stuff out of my brain because it was so hammered in for so long. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, and it's so subtle. Right. And it sounds like a, whatever it takes, like a positive message. Right. So it comes out as this like, Oh, okay. This is normal or, or it is, you know, and there's a, I, I do believe there's a balance to be struck. Right. Like there is this, but again, you know, cause it, when you said that, it makes me think of the time to lean, time to clean mentality. Like I am just, you know, taking mm-hmm. a five minute break just to lean. Like, no, you always have to be doing something. Mm-hmm. And these, and that's, you know, kind of more in the service industry. And I think we're seeing some of that ramification now of a yeah. lot of those jobs that are really challenging for a whole slew of reasons, not being paid what they deserve at all mm-hmm. um, for the amount of effort and skill set and all that other stuff so like 
but again, there's that mentality. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. And it's really <laughs> like when, again, once you step back and look at it, it's like, whoa. Yeah, okay. absolutely. And like, so I, I just completed my basic training for EMDR. And so you mentioned that you're in that too. Mm-hmm. And like, obviously we're not doing EMDR here today, but it kind of calls to mind this, like these messages that we've learned for so much of our lives about what work is or what it means to be a productive member of society. Mm-hmm. Um, I know before we hit record, like you were talking about maybe what your parents didn't say explicitly, but what you saw from them. Um, when you were growing up and how that, how that impacted the way that you view work. So I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about that. Sure. Yeah. You know, and it makes me think of um, just how to change the relationship. This has also been like the theme of my therapy, really changing the relationship with your anxiety, changing the whatever. That's just kind of where people have been. I read and this is not, um, I don't remember how I stumbled across it, but it was like a universal basic income discussion. And someone like said, it's like, you shouldn't have to work. You should want to work. And that really hit me like, Ooh, I've never like, cause <laughs> that, that is just that word. Like, Whoa. Like I'm like, no, you gotta work. And like, and it's not, that I don't want to, and it's, it was, I don't know. That just like hit me in a way. I'm like, mm-hmm. just changing that language, like would change. So well, I don't have to do this. I choose this job. Yeah, because I want to do it. So I wake up more motivated. I wake up, I'm more interested now. Like this is keeping me alive. I have to do it. Yeah. Right. Like I think even with food, like why well, have to eat to survive? It's like, or I can chew. I, I mean, yes, that doesn't, we can't change the language around that, but also like, well, if I want to eat, I have more power and control of what I make. Mm-hmm. Right. Instead of just it's nutrients and nothing else. I can sit and really enjoy what I'm eating. I can yeah. really be creative. And so I think this changes. So you saying that made me think of just changing the language and this is more systemically at this point of like how we view work and mm-hmm. going back to growing up work was very much whether you wanted to do it or chose to do it or had it you just did it yeah. and that was something I really still this to this day I admire like my parents I think are incredible people mm-hmm. and had done a very very good job with raising me as anxious as I always feel like I am sometimes and again that's not not all their fault you know I hear you're really well adjusted for something am I like okay (laughs) cool um but especially my so my dad my dad uh so he grew up in northwest Indiana my dad worked um kind of east of Chicago so he he did the like 60 minute commute Mm -hmm. I actually did the work with him for an intern not internship but essentially yeah like I worked as like an apprentice for a summer to make some money mm-hmm. working and he he was a pipe fitter and he like for 30 years so he went from like actually doing the work to like a managing guys mm-hmm. and I just like I was amazed to see him do that type of work it was hot it was uncomfortable it was intense he would come home and he's all right I'm gonna go whatever mow the lawn or just like <laughs> you know there was no I know like yeah I'm gonna unwind with some dinner and then go to bed and then rinse wash repeat like and it was, mm-hmm. didn't seem to really affect him as an adult I now see other signs of like oh he just hit it in these ways or is man maybe manifesting in this way but to me they communicated okay so I'm home for the summer and all he asked me to do is pull weeds and I couldn't do that yeah what's wrong with me and again like he never to my best of my recollection, like never overtly shame me about it, but I, I felt that like uh, I disappointed him to do it. Mm-hmm. 
And again, there's nothing wrong with it, but there was definitely that like, okay, so I can't do this. Okay. I just got to do it whether I want to or not. It's got to get done. It's got to get done. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and yeah, started the bottom of the totem pole. That was something my dad always said. Yep. You just kind of work the shit jobs and you work your way up. Okay. Yeah. That's the way it is. So like, and again, I think there is some truth to that. I think there is some goodness in it, but like there was, it never felt, it was very much, yeah, but yeah, that sucks, but this. So I was like, okay. And just hearing that, like, okay. Mm -hmm. And also seeing, I mean, like we were like, my parents did very, have done very well for themselves. So like, okay, they must be onto something here. They've been the same job for 30 years. They've worked their way up. Money was never, you know, I know I'm very privileged and lucky and fortunate and pretty much every conceivable way outside of just like being a white cisgender man, right? Mm -hmm. Like, in the society, just like having those opportunities. And I've been very, and they've also been very good about being humble and being grateful for what we had. But I think the message it also sent was, yeah, work hard forever. Yeah. Don't, and just deal this way. If you want to get to these goals, that's what you got to do. Mm-hmm. And again, there's truth to it, but it felt unbalanced. Um, and I frankly think I, I work with a lot of younger guys um, in there, you know, 20s and 30s and it's just like I think it's also a generational teaching in some ways where I'm like a lot of my guys are that way too it's just like perfectionists and then but why do I see them for porn unwanted porn use because it's the only way they can relax because it takes no time at all or they get obliterated drunk because it's the only you know they don't have time to actually relax so they self-soothe yeah and kind of more neurochemically with quick fixes mm-hmm. um the advent of like gosh uh, with the smartphones and mm-hmm. with this, wow, I felt like I really, I was like 30 years older than I am. Like, Oh, those smartphones. But <laughs> so like with like vine and reels from Instagram, just instant, like you just take, yeah. you know, I'm going to sc- scroll for five minutes and that's like all the time I have. So it's like, and I know it's marketed that way. So it's like you work, 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 work. Here's a five minute hit of something and then keep going. Mm-hmm. And it's, I will never forget, like, and I see this a lot. So working with people that are even just addiction across the board, but especially with like, you know, people struggling with unwanted sexual behaviors or pornography, it's like, Ooh, there's a financial work addiction stuff thing here too. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Like often. Right. And like, that's, you know, not that it justifies what they're doing, but it's like, Whoa, like, but that's in their main, that's they're rationalizing it. Well, I don't, I need to work all these hours to make all this money for power and control because I need it or I physically need it. So I, this is my out, this is my outlet and I deserve it. And I, I think we all fall into that at some point, whether, however it manifests, like checking the email thing, I rationalize that. Well, but then I'll know if I've got a cancellation so I can know if I've got a free hour or not. Yeah. That's why I'm checking it, you know? Right. Yeah. So um, yeah, that's what I think some of the messaging was. And again, never overtly messaged. It was very covert, which I think makes it really almost sinister in a way to really like look at it. You know, like, whoa, yeah. like never thought of it versus like, I was, you know, it's like talking to some of my class, I was never abused. And you hear their story, it's like, well, that capital T trauma wise, but man, there's a lot of death by a thousand paper cuts vibes going on For sure. here. For sure. Yeah. And you see that in a lot of, um, a lot of folks who like, 
you know, we, we, as therapists use that, that phrase, like high functioning, whatever that means, right? Like they, okay. they do outwardly look like they're doing very well. Um, they're able to sort of like keep their, their maladaptive stuff under wraps. But when you really start to like evaluate and look at all of those covert messages that you've received throughout your whole life about whatever it may be, whether that is food or sex or money or work, and you realize how it's been influencing you without you even realizing it, you're like, what the hell? Like, Mm -hmm. (laughs) I didn't realize that I was engaging in this because it's so deeply rooted into my story and how I've perceived things based on literally everything around me. And like making changes to have that not be your reality can be really empowering, but also like super destabilizing. (laughs) Um, And I don't know if this has been your experience with working at a group practice, because as you said, like you tend to make more money in those private settings. So group practice, you make more than you might at a community mental health center. Mm -hmm. And then even beyond that in private practice, if you're doing something for yourself, you tend to make more than group practice. And that that's been one thing that's been really um, like stuck in my mind. Cause I also, I come from a similar background where hard work equals the money. And so to think of a world where I can work 20 hours a week and make as much as I was making at my previous career life job of working in software. I'm like that, that seems awesome and messed up. I don't know if that's possible. (laughs) Um, So yeah, it's kind of like taking what you've known your whole life and taking what you saw your parents do, which is a ton of hard work, always, always doing Mm -hmm. and stopping and saying like, I don't, I don't have to do that. I don't know. I found for myself, it's just like a very freeing, but weird headspace to be in. Yeah. Like I think being away from home, cause I lived in, so I went to grad school very close to home. Mm-hmm. So I lived at home cause like my free rent. And I mean, they made the basement essentially apartment. They were really good at respecting, but there was still that pressure. Like, okay, I have to, but if I'm at home, mm-hmm. what do you do? You know, my dad would sometimes have to come downstairs to, you know, check the water heater or something and like oh I have to pretend I'm doing work mm-hmm. can't be like you know like it's fine like and he would never put that pressure but there's that like feeling I always be doing something mm-hmm. what really freed me of that was and again like my parents are just not right put it in, it's against that that covert messaging I don't think they even mean to do it. it's like they actually are just are wired different they are just doers as people and I'm just not that kid guy person and it was really stark we visited them. They, they built the retirement home in South Carolina and they finished it this past Easter. We went down, I think in July, right after 4th of July. And that's where I made that story. Every day I was like, I'm going to go pull weeds. Is that all right? I'm like, yeah, it's your house, man. Like, but it was very much like no pressure from either side to like, well, we have to be doing stuff too because they're doing stuff. And there was no pressure from like, we have to just sit and do nothing and just relax. And like what relaxes them is doing that stuff and that and I identify with some of that like I like I do enjoy cooking it is relaxing for me and it's engaging and I think it is important to find those restorative moments or activities mm-hmm. that maybe are more active and moving physically instead of just more sedentary 
mm-hmm. that recharges us. But I think just, I think we're just made up differently sometimes. Or people, some people just need like, I just need, you know, um, whatever, right? Like, so like we have a tradition in our house, we watch a crappy movie every Sunday <laughs> with my best friend and we just like talk through it and just make fun of it. And so that's really engaging but I also know that like yeah like I really look forward to taking the dog for a walk or mowing lawn something more active so like yeah. so I think really what helped me at least with the parental part is like that trip was really like whoa like okay like everyone's okay just being different here and there's mm-hmm. not this you know pressure to to do that um and it's okay people are just I think are just wired differently in that way yeah absolutely and I I like that that was a um a positive experience for you rather than being one where like you started to spin in your own mind about it. Like, well, why am I not like them? Um, mm-hmm. It kind of sounds like that is, that's been some internal work on your part to kind of understand your relationship with doing and being active and productive, um, mm-hmm. which like, I think for a lot of people in the mental health world, and it's not exclusive to this world either is like, when you can acknowledge how you do things best and just allow those comparisons to fall away and just acknowledge like, it's, it's okay if I do it this way and it's okay if, if they do it that way, I can take so much pressure off. (laughs) It's so nice. I mean, I'm learning that, right? Like my practice is the, has been really informed, like helpful for that. Not just the, the, the people, right. Not just my employer, just the work I do, mm-hmm. right? Because it's such a it's such a specialty, and I mean there isn't like with I mean frankly I think this is true of most why people come to see us just not like oh do these ten steps and you'll stop being depressed or like you'll you know like how do I stop watching porn like well you do these twelve things and you're good right like mm-hmm. unfortunately I know most people wish that was you know so yeah. formulaic and easy but like so much of this is like the only way out is through it's experiential you have to allow yourself that discomfort give your i mean the power of giving yourself permission and sitting with that discomfort instead of avoiding it and like mm-hmm. i work and it's pretty much just really chronic avoiders for real i mean for most of it's trauma and it's like yeah of yeah. course you avoid that i don't blame i avoid my stuff because of my stuff i totally get that mm-hmm. and you can't logic your way through that no you can't see, i would always i can't cbt myself through that you know like I know rationally this is thing but I can't deny how I feel and it's so so much of this work that I do is like allowing myself to experience that discomfort not check that email actually allow myself to relax ask for whatever yeah and um and just to experience that like okay I can handle this it Mm -hmm. sucks but I can tolerate it like okay so I don't need to do these things um, and that's been really powerful to like move me through as a professional. Cause like, uh, why are you spending? Cause we don't take insurance. So it's like, wow, you're spending all this money. What am I doing for you? I'm like, I'm holding space for your feelings. And that's probably the best thing I can do yeah. in connecting with you in that. Yeah. And that sounds like such like high up BS. I'm like, nah, that's like, even when I heard it, I'm like, nah, there's gotta be some skill. But like, I really like come into my own with like, no, I believe that. Yeah. Cause like, yeah. I would say like, my job's not hard. Right. Mm-hmm. It's just like, but people are like, I could not be a therapist. How do you just not do that? I'm like, I just do it. 
Yeah. So it's really giving, like really allowing that credit to feel and like, listen, like I'm holding and that is consistent. Like what is, what do I bring? It's like, I hold very safe spaces for you to be incredible, incredibly vulnerable mm-hmm. with probably the most vulnerable parts of themselves. Right. Yeah. Even, you know, we're talking about their sex lives and their, and their fears and their traumas. And it's like, Whoa, mm-hmm. and I did it. No problem. Like not no problem. I mean, it's, I feel it after like, I'm exhausted, but it's definitely like, I don't, I just do that. So yeah, it's really like, I'm allowing them to go through it. I am going through that with them. And I think it really allows that to like be solidified. And I think the best example I think of that is like grad school, right? We read the theories. Mm-hmm. Here's how, here's the storming, forming, norming with group and all that other stuff. Here's Gottman. But you're just like, what the hell am I doing? And like, you have yeah. to go through it. You have the knowledge yeah. base. You have the skills. You have to go through it. Even through internships, that was like, you know, sort of powerful, but it's until you really get into it, yeah. um, which I remember being hard for me, but I'm licensed. I should know it. I've been doing this for this many hours. It's like, oh, now you're starting to get it. Right. right. So that's been probably the most powerful thing for me as I moved through this is just acknowledging and allowing that to be and not feeling that I have to know it all or oh, do it all. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that can be a really, yeah, a really powerful thing to know that the space that you hold is one of the most powerful things. I mean, of course, of course we can learn skills and modalities to use that will create and foster change within those spaces, but just people being allowed to have that space in the first place to know that it's what they say is going to stay in there, you know, under most circumstances, unless there's risk Mm -hmm. of harm. Mm -hmm. Um, but that they can, they can put it there and they can leave it there. And that there's going to be somebody there who isn't just going to like react the way that everybody else has always reacted to them, going to like judge them or call them names. And I mean, you're absolutely right. Like this is, this is a process that we go through too. Every single time we meet with a client, like we bring our, space holding skills and our um, clinical skills and the knowledge that we have, but every clinical hour is a human experience that we're having with people. Um, Which is why I always say like my burnout has never come from working with people, even if they weren't my most ideal clients, or even if they were Mm -hmm. my most ideal client, like it's never been about the actual therapy work. It's been Mm -hmm all of the other stuff that surrounds it, that makes that human work feel difficult to achieve. Um, but it, it sounds like when you're able to really take a step back and evaluate your process through this and what you bring and the value that you bring to the people you're working with. And when you have an environment that is supportive of that, it just it makes it so much easier to do that work in a sustainable way. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. What else makes your work sustainable for you right now? You know, there's a powerful, something that's really been helpful for me lately is reframing it, but like believing that reframe, not yes. just like say in the mirror a thousand times, um, which, you know, kind of gets you there in its own way. But like, mm-hmm. so going back to, I've got, I've got a few clients that 
are challenging as we all have. And there's one particular person after a hard session, I went to the bathroom and I was just like rubbing my head and I'm like, okay. And I just had to say, I said it out loud. It was so just weird. I was like, I'm going to learn a lot from this person. I'm like, Ooh, I changed that from like, I don't like working with this person. This mm. person is beyond my skill. I'm not good enough to like, this person's going to teach me a lot. And it was yeah. like, well, I was like, I'm growing from this, not being like crushed by it. And this, this person is very much the epitome of don't work harder than your client, which is also what we're told all the time in grad school. And yet there's this, you have to work hard to be successful, right? So it's such a hard line to have. So really reframing that um, has been helpful. And I remind myself of that moment again and again, even if I don't mm-hmm. find that moment or repeat that experience, I'll just re- remember that. I'm like, okay, I have that. I'm like, okay. Yeah. And we just moved through. And that has changed my work with this person. I'm like, dude, it's all on you. Mm-hmm. Like, I am, I am the cap. I am the navigator, not the captain. Yeah. Right. I'm helping you get to where you want to go, but I'm not forcing you to go anywhere. I can't choose, um, you know, to, to, to make you go there. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I laugh because. I'm sure as a therapist, at least for me, oh yeah, you know that stuff I tell my clients to do and I don't do and I suddenly do and it kind of works, you know what I mean? Like, I had a really bad day a few weeks ago mm-hmm. and it was like, I was in my head, which I hate being, so I'm so disconnected and it was, the, it was a Friday, so I'm like, man, I'm going to ruin this weekend. My wife's going to be upset because I'm not present, da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Mm-hmm. And, and she knew it and she's like, I'm like, she's like, what do you need? I'm like, I don't know. And I'm like, I'm going to go for a run. I despise working out. <laughs> I don't get why people are into it. And I ran just for like a mile. And then I took my dog for a walk and yeah. halfway through that run, I'm like, Whoa, I feel so much better. And it's just like, okay. Like, so this works like doing this. And I was able to kind of later then go back to like what was going on for me. And it was, it was really nothing. It was just kind of like, yep. Long day. Just went to my own therapy. And then just, I found a stressor, like this hit me wrong place, wrong time. Yeah. So like, and I've really fallen off the workout wagon since, but like, again, I go back to that moment where you're like, that felt really good. Like you felt mm-hmm. clear, you felt more grounded, you felt more relieved, like, okay. So really structure routine and just like put, allowing that stuff to be, even if it, you know, doesn't feel good in the moment, mm-hmm. it'll feel good long-term. And again, we can know that, but until you experientially go through it, then you're like, oh, and you solidify it. So yep. as inconsistent as that has been, when I do do it, I feel a lot better about myself. Um, and yeah, as I'm mm-hmm. talking to you, I'm like, man, I've fallen out of all my routines. I got to get back on that. Probably mm-hmm. why my week was so rough last week. Um, mm-hmm. But just like, you're just monitoring, like making sure I'm drinking enough water. Like, okay, how much coffee, yeah. coffee am I drinking? What's alcohol looking like? Okay, sleep. Are we sleeping too much? You know, um, you know, connecting with friends, especially, you know, even with COVID and it's various stages of whatever the heck is happening mm-hmm. um it's good to have those like that's this sunday watching a crappy movie like and yeah. this doesn't i think help me as much but like 
uh, my wife and my friend who watch us both get like the Sunday scaries where they're just like, oh crap, Monday's coming. Oh my gosh, I not I don't want the weekend end. I don't really have that. This helps them like definitively move through that. Mm-hmm. So I think having like structured, not even structured, but like, hey, we're gonna watch a movie sometime today, and it's gonna yeah. be a bad time because it's a bad movie, but it's really fun. <laughs> Right. Like every Friday I game, all my friends are mainly back in Indiana and Chicago. So we, this is how we connect. And it's like, we play video games for a couple hours on Fridays. And, mm-hmm. and it's really encouraging to see how powerful, like, cause I've made excuses. Like I'm too tired, which mm-hmm. is legitimate sometimes. But it's like, I'm too tired. I'm too this, but it's like, it's so important to make that a priority and stick to it. You know, mm-hmm. like one of my friends, he's got two little boys at this point and he's still there every Friday almost every Friday unless they've got something family plan but it's like okay so this was integrated as a part of their day like it's almost like scheduling self-care and leisure time you know I think there's this idea supposed to be like what do you want to do this week I don't know we'll just figure something out yeah as opposed to like well no it'd be really nice if we had a date night every two weeks or every week if we did this so like I think just structuring that routine has been really uh, really helpful to help me be more productive with work and also just changing my, you know, I think I, I have the privilege and luxury to change my schedule as I need to, mm-hmm. right? Like, okay, I don't want to, you know, I want to get Fridays off. Okay, great. How many clients do I got to move that around? Am I willing to make that heavy caseload sacrifice? You know, I'm done working at this time. Yeah. Um, I'm still learning to do that sustainably. Um, mm-hmm. But like, that's been helpful. I mean, it, I use the, I use the metaphor. I mean, I guess you can use this with most mental health, but I always think addiction is just like, everything's out of whack. Spirituality, sexuality, physical health, mental health, emotional health, social connection. Mm-hmm. Okay. Let's write those ships, right? Let's, let's find that balance. Okay. So I'm doing something for my physical health today. Am I doing mm-hmm. something restorative? Am I doing something productive professionally? You know, it's, um, there's just so much stuff we have have to be doing um but that's you know just do a little bit as you need to and be okay with it's the process yeah absolutely yeah I mean similar to what we would tell our clients because as you mentioned like oh this is stuff I tell people to do all the time and hey it actually does work so maybe I should Mm -hmm. try it um yeah just being able to give ourselves the same amount of leniency and grace when it comes to taking steps that might be difficult or pushing past, like, I'm too tired. I don't want to, Mm -hmm. like, Mm -hmm. if we're not able to do that sometimes that's okay. Um, but if we do like really acknowledging, like I'm, I'm doing what I can. Um, I really like that you talk about having a schedule, having things that, you know, are going to bring joy to your life that have nothing to do with your work, like bad movies. Love that. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen troll two or the room. Oh yeah. <laughs> okay, good. Oh yeah. Those are my like main things that I go Pinnacle to. Pinnacle bad movie. <laughs> oh my gosh, dude. Troll two. Where is troll one? You never know. Um, yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> that's, it's just so cool to hear that. Like, even though, you know, there are difficult weeks, you're able to still look back and reflect um, and say, hey, here, here is something that worked for me before. Maybe I'm feeling a little tired, but I know, I know what I can and need to do if I want to get back to that place. Um, right. Same with the reframing, like I'm going to learn something from this. I, I like that. Mm-hmm. I like that a lot. 
Yeah. Something I, you know, makes me think of two, two quick little anecdotes. So one, I always tell my clients because, you know, when we're thinking of maybe like, you know, compulsive sexual behaviors, we're talking about affairs on, and, and you hear their story and you're like, I'm not justifying your actions, but like, of course I can mm-hmm. see based on your childhood and, or this horrible trauma that this would be, you, you can't stand. There's so much shame. There's so much anxiety. I can't regulate except by this behavior. Mm-hmm. And it's against your value system to lie, to cheat, whatever. Mm-hmm. So it's finding this balance of like accountability and self-compassion. Yeah. Um, and I just find that with, you know, like, Hey, it's okay if you don't do that X, that X, Y, Z or whatever. Mm-hmm. And also be real honest with yourself. Why don't you want to do it? Like, are you actually needing a check or are you just like avoiding it? And that was like, with that workout, I'm like, I don't want to work out. I'm like, mm, your legs work, right? You're not, you know what I mean? Like, come on, it's 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. It's not a, and my, my, my friend who runs would always say like, I know I'm going to be miserable for the next 30 to 45 minutes, <laughs> but I can allow that to be there. I'm not, that's not going to be this euphoric experience. It's going to yeah. be probably uncomfortable at minimum and I can get through it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it makes me also think of, and I refuse this a lot with my clients, but also myself is essentially through it without going to the long story behind it is like understanding war performance. Peak performance is like, like on a, a parabolic curve. Mm-hmm. right i need just enough anxiety to be facilitative for peak performance not enough mm-hmm. anxiety i'm not going to try poor performance too much anxiety i'm not going to take care of myself i'll overwhelm myself i will not succeed mm-hmm. so like it's also having that ability to say like listen how do i utilize this anxiety or distress to help me yeah and also accepting that i can't control it all at the end of the day yeah it may not yield me anything, right? It's, um, but allowing it to, I mean, this is kind of faith and trust mm-hmm. and higher power, the system, the universe, yourself, whatever really comes into play. Yeah. So I, I, I've been using more of those, like, you know, whether they're, you know, anecdotes or metaphors or sayings to be like, okay, that helps me kind of reframe my self. <laughs> The other thing I think about too, now that I'm thinking about it is uh, I'm using this example a lot with my clients. Like, okay, like, is this me? Like how, you know, it's usually like using that barometer of like interesting. I go, okay, like how can that apply to my life? Oh, okay. I'm Uh noticing this more. Is there something with me? And so it's kind of you helping the clients or having the clients help you with that. Of course, not not in the session, but like you reflect back, like, whoa, like why has that been the metaphor of the week? Yep. So absolutely yeah I know there have been times like if I've been in sessions with folks and maybe I give examples of like some people feel this way and like I mm-hmm. look back and I'm like some people is me <laughs> I mean, I'm sure other people <laughs> yep. do but like absolutely oh yeah <laughs> so yeah just being able to recognize too like yeah I am identifying and um how do, how do I handle that how do I manage that how do I move forward mm-hmm. Um, so that I can be most helpful to not only them, but my, myself as well. So, yeah. Hmm. Well, um, as we kind of come close to the end of our time together, I usually like to ask my guests, um, if you were to leave the audience with a thought to chew on or something to reflect on after they 
close down their podcast app, um, what would you want them to think about or what would you want them to know? Um, I really think I go back to the example of like that self-compassion and accountability, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's so powerful. And I find with most therapists, it's definitely the self-compassion piece that's, you know, mm -hmm. missing. We're almost too, I don't have to be too accountable, but <laughs> too much pressure to kind of move that forward. Um, so just allow that to be, again, use your superpowers for good, right? Mm -hmm. You are, we are so in tuned with our clients' needs and holding space and having compassion and also being able to challenge them. Like we can do that for us. Mm -hmm. And we need to, in order to really be there for them. And again, I go back to this idea of balance, doing something that is both kind of mindless in a way, mm -hmm. physically active, creative, like having like, like one task activity to, because I think it just, it's more fulfilling in a different way. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm not a creative person and I've noticed we've started to do like more like role-playing games and I've never done it before. That was really cool to like make a character and make stuff up on the fly. And like, that was, that was really fulfilling and engaging in a way I'm not used to. Mm -hmm. So I think it's also like fun to explore, um, sides of ourselves we don't maybe get to connect with. And even at the other day, maybe we don't do it that often, but we have that. So yeah, it's like exploring and being compassionate, I think is really important for our well-being and just personal fulfillment, which at the end of the day will make us this, per you know, I'll say perfect clinician, but the goal mm -hmm. we're all trying to reach, like this is, you know, really important. Yeah. The most perfect version of our imperfect clinician selves, mm -hmm. maybe, potentially. Potentially. Yeah. It was a... Uh, it was a line from my group therapy book uh, and it said like, like successful clinicians or efficient clinicians strive for perfection, but no one except they'll never get there or something like that. And I'm like, there's a reason I, of that whole course, the only thing I remember is that line. <laughs> so again, it's allowing to accept and, and, you know, allowing that to be, and it's so yeah. hard to do that. How do I do that? I'm like, I don't know. You just got to do it. <laughs> you just, yeah. It's like, that, that to me sounds a lot more like a journey than a destination type of thing. Exactly. Perfect. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Well, I've super appreciated this conversation. Um, I think, I think there is a lot in this conversation that folks will identify with um, and feel connected to. And I, I definitely appreciate you sharing like the things that help you stay grounded and feel sustainable in this practice. Cause ultimately like with a profession like this, it's super important that we feel like we can do it sustainably. So I definitely appreciate that. No, thank you. I really appreciated sharing my story, being here yeah, and uh, just hoping to help in any way I can. Yeah, absolutely. I think, I think you have. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> hey everyone. Thank you so much for listening today. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did, and I hope that whoever or wherever you are, you can start having more conversations in your circles of support 
about better ways to support ourselves and to support each other through burnout. If you like today's show, please make sure to head over to wherever you get your podcasts and hit the subscribe button. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, I would love it if you left a rating and a review on there to help get the word out. Thanks so much, y'all. Until next time, take care of yourselves, and I will see you again soon.